0: My name is Keith Washington, I am a director, and I directed, I'm now told, 12 episodes of London's Burning. I didn't know that until just now. Uh, I don't know, it's so long ago I can't remember, Uh, but I suppose it came through my agent, I suppose London's Burning were looking for a new director to come in, and I suppose they would have canvassed my agent amongst lots of others. I don't know why I eventually was shortlisted, but presumably it was something to do with the work that I'd done up till then, which was doing a lot of TV series of the, what we used to call the blues and the twos kind of series, things like the bill and casualty and things like that. Uh, So I was used to doing a little bit of action, but not action like you get in London's Burning. And, uh, I remember. What I do remember is I was doing an episode of the building, in which there was a small fire, and the fire brigade were called. And who should arrive driving one of the fire appliances, but Nobby Clark, who was the the technical fire brigade liaison person on London's burning. He was the go-to man for any filming or television work you wanted to do with the fire brigade. And I joked at that time to Nobby and I said, this is my audition for London's Burning. So I was quite surprised when about three weeks later, I got a call to go in to see Paul Knight. And we talked and I was given the job. Uh, I don't know why, but I did. And it turned out to be several years of enormous fun. That's a big question. Paul Knight was a a one-off. They don't make Paul Knights frequently, and they certainly haven't made one since. Uh, He could be very frustrating. He could be annoying. But basically, Paul was, as a producer, was incredibly supportive to a new director. In fact, to any director. Uh, He wasn't easy, but he was great fun. And uh, Paul's solution, I think, to any problems within the team, and we were a very tight-knit team, but there were occasional problems, but Paul's solution was to throw a party. And we had some really good parties. But having said that, we also did some, I think, really terrific work. And I think we were all very loyal to Paul. And uh, yes, I will say no more. Uh, Filming locations. Well, one thing to remember about London's burning is of course it's heavily set in London, but you can't do big fires in London. Because if you do a big fire in a part of London, guess what happens? The fire brigade turn up and try and put it out. We don't want it to go out. We want it to go out when we want it to go out, not when they want it to go out. So you found yourself trying to recreate Dockside, or Dockhead, as it was in London's Burning, out in the middle of Hertfordshire, in the middle of the country, where there were were no houses and no people to get worried in the middle of the night when bombs go off and buildings go up in flames. So we travelled far and wide to get good locations, which we could control. And one of the nice things about it was the, the production, the design crew used to carry around with them a cutout model of the Canary Wharf Tower. And that placed at night, placed very carefully in the distance in the background of a shot would give you the impression that you were working or filming right in the middle of the Do- Docklands. In fact, we were 100 miles or so further up the A1. The other thing that people maybe don't know about is that we had a burn stage, where the big burns were were done, were constructed. This was a very tall building with a with a fan opening roof, so that the smoke could actually go out. This was a, all very carefully done. Uh, And big, big fires were done in this, but on this burn stage, uh, which could be, you could throw gallons and gallons of water into it when it would drain. And so it gave us an enormous flexibility. Uh, So that was the second major thing, apart from finding the locations. The location finders did a very important job, as they always do. on, on any film but uh, on London's Burning of course there are so many things they have to bear in mind the main one of which is safety of course uh, and certainly during the time that I was on London's Burning I can't speak for for later on in the series uh, there, there, there was never an accident there was never any more than a slightly singed earlobe well, I don't think it's any great secret, but the, the London's Burning Series was done with the cooperation of the London Fire Brigade or the London Fire and Civil Defence authorities. It was known when I was doing the, the show. Very close relationship and to the extent that it might also almost be said that we were doing promotion work for the LFCDA. <laughs> Uh, So, for example, I did. I think the very first episode that I did was a high-rise rescue with high-rise ladders and things like that. No, no, it wasn't. It was abseiling. That's right. Abseiling off the top of a skyscraper uh, when Sicknote got the collie wobbles as he was going over the the edge. Uh, And we did this on the top of the London Weekend building at Waterloo. Um, And... uh, The reason why that script was written with the high-rise rescue was that the LFCDA had just started or brought into operation its own uh, abseiling team. Uh, So it had a new new piece of equipment that it wanted to show off. All this is high politics, of course, because they were trying to preserve their their status within the uh, London government, as it were. So uh, every time the fire brigade got a new piece of equipment, uh, lo and behold, London's Burning will be showing it off uh, very soon afterwards. The very first episode, it was written by, by Anita Bronson Uh, and I I did a lot of, I think the majority of the scripts that I did were were Anita's scripts and uh, she was a very, very good writer. I, I enjoyed working with her, uh, but my, my my recollection of that first episode was, is being absolutely scared because I didn't know how to do any of the any of the uh, the, the stunts and the the the, uh, the action sequences. Um, so, because I had lots of time to prepare, I started watching Harold Lloyd films and seeing how. He shot stuff so that he could be dangling from a clock, seemingly uh, twelve stories above the streets of New York, and in fact he was only about two feet away from a crash mat, uh, because of the, 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 the positioning of the camera. So I kind of watched all that and cribbed a lot of ideas and, and came with lots of thoughts about how to do the, the um, how to do the, 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 these things. And the very first thing, I think more more or less the first or second day of working on the show, I met with the art department and I began to wax lyrical about uh, Harold Lloyd films. They, of course, were streets ahead of me. And they'd done all that sort of prep. They knew exactly how I was going to shoot these sequences. They designed it for me. It was all built into the sets they created. And if I followed the natural progression of those sets, then I'd be able to shoot and achieve what we had to achieve. The production designer was a man called Colin Monk, who was an absolute genius. And Colin and I met on top of the London Weekend Tower as we were doing a recce. And I left that meeting with full confidence that I would be able able to achieve what I had to achieve. The only problem was, on that show was me because I actually suffer from vertigo. And so there were sequences when when I would be leaning over the top of the parapet and, and shouting down to the cradle below and the stunt man suspended, trying to give directions, felt perfectly okay. It was only in the car on the way home at the end of the day shooting that I thought, what on earth was I doing hanging over the top of that building? I could have fallen and killed myself, and I I, 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 got—I actually got vertigo, jelly knees, driving home in the car. I always remember that. Um, So that was my main memory of that particular episode. I can't remember what else happened in it apart from the the abseiling. I didn't work a lot with with, with Jim. Um, but he's a very fine and very experienced actor um I was very sad when he left because that he brought to it a great sense of continuity um but i i i i don't think i did an awful lot with him so i can't really be very illuminating about it i'm afraid and he 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 brought something very interesting to the show the the, the ethnic part of things uh a very nice and very hard working actor. Oh yes. Uh I mean in particular he he did a, a very good sequence or sequences uh at the end of a double episode that I did. Because he, he got he and several other mates, and Bailey I think was another one. They got trapped underneath a lorry when a wall collapsed and uh in the show, not in real life of course. Uh, and uh, he then uh, experienced post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, And this was something that Anita Bronson wanted to write about. And and certainly the fire brigade were very interested in in, in us uh, showing how people are looked after when they have post-traumatic stress disorder. And Sean, of course, was at the centre of this because, and and it was important that that it, it was Sean's character Uh, Hallam, because as somebody said, um, nothing will upset Hallam because he's built like a brick shit house, uh, which indeed he was, he he is a very big man. Um, But his acting was extremely good and detailed uh, as he explored the condition of post-traumatic stress disorder, as as he kept suffering from flashbacks. This was beautifully written by Anita, And it really had a purpose for the fire brigade and for anybody else really who's experiencing that sort of thing um, and was very interesting to do. But uh, Sean, of course, was right at the center of this. uh, And his performance I think was extremely fine. Um, I don't think that I, and I don't think many other people would have completed the filming in its allotted time. (laughs) Uh, I think, it, I, if memory says, I think it was something like a 12-day shoot originally. But it usually went on for 14 days because you could never complete it. So there was all, always some pickups having to be done, some extra shots to make a sequence work because there wasn't time just to maybe to get a reaction here or uh, a, a, a car skidding past there. Uh to tidy it up, to make it work, to make it sing. It very often needed extra stuff. Sometimes, of course, you'd fallen so far behind that you needed to shoot an entire sequence. But then Paul wasn't very happy about that. And you didn't get many parties if you did that very often. But you would get parties if you finished reasonably on time. Um, The thing about Burning, as opposed to lots of other shows that I've been involved in, was that there was no acrimonious feel. Feelings flying around if you hadn't completed. As long as you obviously worked hard and not taken taken the mickey. Uh, But this is where Paul was so supportive and you you would bust a gut to make it work for him as well. Uh, But it was all a a great team effort because you you finish your 12-day shooting, you'd be there in the cutting room and your editor, Paul Hudson or Frank Webb, brilliant editors both of them you'd sit there and they'd say oh Keith if only you had a shot there that that said that and you thought I could do that I I know that next week we are in this location I could just get that little look that somebody gave uh, and that will slot in and make something work um that that it was always highly pressured for time um because you could never you could never accurately say how long an action sequence was gonna last. But of, and of course those action sequences were very expensive. If you had to go back and do it again, you'd be talking about a lot of money. Um, and that didn't please Mr. Knight. Well, one of the great pleasures about working on London's Burning in the early days uh, was working with uh, Jimmy Hazeldean, James Hazeldean, who played, um, what did he play? He was Bailey. that's right um but he he was a wonderful wonderful actor very experienced and technically he was quite brilliant he could he could rescue he could get you out of a lot of problems just by giving a look or or a, a, a turn in a particular way so it's like doing a ballet really but he, he he could be absolutely wonderful and was wonderful all the time and a great person to have on the set so i love working with jimmy um Everybody else, everybody was very good at you see. I mean, the thing about Lana's burning, and this is what Paul created, it was it was a marvelous team. And the actors were all a team and they all played together. And they had to work together because some of those stunts that they did or were involved in were potentially quite dangerous unless they actually worked closely together. If they if you wanted to screw somebody up, you could really screw somebody up and you could get them hurt. Um, and as I said earlier. I don't think we had any any accidents at all the time that I was involved in the show in the fairly early days. I'm sure they didn't later either. Um, so they all worked closely together. The the design team worked closely together. The the the, the costume department all worked together closely. And, and, it, and so directors on that show had a, a fantastic amount of support. Uh, and I, 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 I don't remember any any conflicts or any time. Maybe I'm now looking at it through rose-tinted glasses because it was a good time, but it was a long time ago as well. Um, so uh, that's, I think, all I've got to say about that. Well, I I was lucky enough, and I can't remember the numbers or what the series was, or series number was. Uh, I was lucky enough to do a double episode. Um, which was about Blue Watch going to a major, major fire, a 20 pumper, I think at one point it was called, which is a very big fire. Uh, and uh, with a lot of equipment, a lot of firemen, a lot of fire engines. And it was like having a massive train set. Also absolutely terrifying because the thought of, of these people going to action the moment I, I said action was a bit of a heavy responsibility. Um, but it was, a, this, uh, this was the Anita Bronson show when she actually wrote about post-traum- post-traumatic stress. And uh, it was a terrific show to work on. It was, I think it cost a lot of money, um, which was a heavy responsibility. It was nearly all shot at night. Uh, out in Huntingdonshire. Um, And it ended with, as I say, the the post-traumatic storyline, which was, I think, about the last third of the second episode. And what happened in the episode was that that half of Blue Watch got trapped underneath some lorries when when the wall collapsed. And the, the, the Blue Watch then had to mount a big search and rescue operation for their chums, their friends. So it was a very emotional episode, um, which they, they, sometimes the, the, on, on a show like London's Burning, the, the shouts, the action sequences can get compartmentalised that they're nothing to do particularly with the emotions of Blue Watch or particularly about the storylines of Blue Watch. This was all integrated. This was about Blue Watch. This was about the fire. It was about the implications of the fire. Um, uh, and w- w- was as a, for a director, it was very satisfying to bring all these these things into play. It wasn't it wasn't compartmentalized, um, and it, it was something Anita Bronson wanted to say as well. And, and the one had the feeling with with the, with the show that he had a purpose. It, uh, it had a center, if you like, which made it. Very exciting. It would be very different, of course, because I mean, one of the marvellous things about London's burning was that all the fires were sort of for real. I mean, they were controlled, but it was real flame. And uh, and so any trickery was entirely done by the camera in terms of positioning. Um, but there the, 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 the were no great uh, technical CGI and. Special effects. It wasn't a special effects show, it, well, it was a special effects show to a certain extent, but all the effects were real. Um, if you had to do a twenty pumper fire, as we did with that double episode I talked about earlier, then you would have to find a location that was worthy of a twenty pumper fire, i.e., four, or five stories high, whatever it was that building, and uh, you know, fifty yards long, or you know, a massive, massive building, all on fire. And it really was on fire. Actually, one of the funny things about that was that there, there is a shot that exists in, in, in the outtakes, big wide shot of that factory, all aflame, with flames coming out of every window. And of course, the source of these flames were these fishtail gas um, uh, gas f- gas pipes with fishtails on that spewed the fire out of the windows. Um, And they were all going 10 to the dozen. Magnificent sight until someone, i.e. me, shouted, cut. And you suddenly see the whole thing just slowly going out. And all the hoses, which were spewing out water, suddenly going Um, So anyway, to get back to your question, today, any remake of London's Burning would be technically totally different. Also, the expectations would be totally different. Uh, You could could remake it if if you wanted, but it would cost a lot of money. Uh, And I doubt whether you would be able to keep up the the, the turnover of, of, of that number of episodes. I don't know. But I think it's best that let London's Burning stay where it is Buried in people's memories, and we've You also got. You can always always get the tape from somewhere, and watch the episodes.